This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Tigers and 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, the founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield, and I know some of you guys were probably expecting Brooks back back this week since he uh, he came back and rejoined the boards this week, but he is uh, currently extremely busy, so I believe, don't quote me on this because you never know with Brooks, but I believe he will be back next week, hopefully, fingers crossed, I know everyone's Everyone's excited and eager to have Brooks back on the podcast, and we are. Are too. you excited and eager to have Brooks back? I am. I am Brooks. I am too. Brooks, uh, he spices things up over here, makes things a little more interesting. So we are excited to have him back, whether that be next week or the following week. Whenever he joins back, we'll we'll be excited to have him. But Kenny, let's start quickly with the breaking news of the day. So we are recording this on Tuesday afternoon. So if you paid any attention on Tuesday and don't live under a rock, you saw that four-star Jordan Nesbitt has officially enrolled and has began taking classes at the University of Memphis, eligible to practice, eligible to play. What does that mean? Who knows at this point? We don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but he is on campus. Kenny and I are not going to go in-depth on this because we have a whole separate podcast dedicated to this that we recorded a couple weeks back. So, if you want to hear anything on Jordan, whether that be his interview, because we did an interview with him uh, talking about his decision to enroll at Memphis or Kenny and I's breakdown on what it means for the team and what it means for Jordan, then you can go check out that podcast because it's already recorded and released. So we're not going to spend too much time on that right now. Yeah, you can take a pause and click down to the next episode and literally that's the podcast that just dropped this morning. Um, and I think, you know, obviously your, your conversation with Jordan was super enlightening. I, I, I think it's, um, you know, clearly, you know, why he's coming, why he decided to do, do this enrolling early. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of questions have been asked just in the last couple of hours about, um, you know, what this means for the team. Um, and, just to reiterate very quickly, um, Christian, some of the things that you said. What what does this mean specifically for the 2020-21 basketball team? I think it means at the bare minimum that they get an extreme competitor in the locker room, a guy that can eventually be a major leader for this team. So, like I said, and I said this in the podcast, so if you listen to that, you'll hear it. It, it may not be a major short-term impact, but it will be 
a major long-term in- impact. So that's all I'm going to say on that. I don't want to give too much away. Like I said, if you want to hear our thoughts or Jordan's uh, thoughts on his early enrollment, you can go check out that podcast. And with that being said, we're going to go ahead and dig into some Memphis basketball. The Tigers play Tulsa on Sunday in another close yet disappointing loss. It looked like Memphis was going to pull it out. I know they were, you know, three weeks without a game, a little rusty early going, um, and then kind of kind of seemed like they caught their stride midway through the first half. Offense started rolling. Defense was playing very good. Landers Nolly was on fire to close out the second half, finish the first half with – or the first half, excuse me, finished that half with 13 points, and Memphis had a six-point – was it six-point, seven-point lead? Six-point lead going into half, and then – What's happened all year has been second-half struggles, and that's exactly what it was on Sunday afternoon. Memphis couldn't get anything going in the second half offensively, finished the game with the season-high 21 turnovers, allowed Tulsa to score 24 points off of those turnovers. So it was another – I don't want to say it was a collapse because it really wasn't a collapse. It was still a close game, but it's just like this team can't figure out how to finish in the clutch minutes. In those minutes when – the good to great teams are able to close out games and defeat teams. Memphis has not learned how to win close games yet. Your thoughts, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, kind of the overall thoughts is how – I was thinking about this throughout the game, um, how similar the the Memphis Tigers athletic programs have gone like this throughout these COVID seasons – I mean, you look at the football team, and they went on a three or four week hiatus. Was it twenty nine days without being able to practice or play games? Um, and and I, the Tiger basketball program went the same amount of time. They got to practice because the COVID outbreak wasn't amongst their ranks. It was the other teams that were having the issues, so they were able to still practice. They didn't have to close down their facilities. Um, but I did kind of get the feeling throughout that um throughout the game against Tulsa I was like man this reminds me of the Memphis SMU football game where SMU was coming into the game against Memphis football the football team 4-0 the first team to four wins in in college football uh, Memphis is playing them they're playing them close and then just that that break, that time away, that that time off of not being able to play and and practice, um, didn't allow them to close out the game, and that's kind of what I felt like with this Tulsa game, where you know you saw some very clear, distinct, like good things in the first half and into the second half, but it was just that last five to six minutes of the game where it was like, man. This is where not having competition, this is where not having games comes into play, where you're just not able to close out and get the stops, get the the buckets that you need in order to win. So it was it was interesting to me that, you know, I felt like I was watching the Memphis SMU football game all over again of going, man, if they had just had some kind of competition within these last three weeks, I bet with with the changes that we're seeing in uh, the team and the offense and, and things like that, I think you would have seen them be able to close it out. But Well, Kenny, we're going to have a very rare moment here on Tigers in 20 because I disagree with that. I, I don't think if they had played games that they would have won because this team hasn't showed that they can close out games all year. So 
saying that if they would have played more games before this doesn't mean they would have won because those last five to seven minutes have been the Achilles heel of this team all season. All season, if it's been close late minutes, more than likely Memphis is not going to pull it out. And it's because in those game-winning minutes, they make very critical mistakes that allow the other team to A, either get back in the game, hence Tulsa both times Memphis had a lead late in the game, or B, run away with the game, which we've seen happen on other occasions. So this was very, very similar to the first Tulsa game. Memphis had a lead at the end. Um, neither team was playing great on offense. Neither team looked great offensively. Um, both teams played well defensively. We know both, you know, the, these two teams are two of the best defensive teams in the American. They proved that once again, Frank, Frank Haith's own defense is, is difficult for any team to figure out. And the way that Memphis plays defense is dif- difficult for any team to figure out because of their length and athleticism. So we knew the defensive side was going to be sharp in this game. And it was. It just ended up that Tulsa's was better at the end of the game once again, which is exactly what happened last time. You had the swing in momentum in the first game between Memphis and Tulsa when uh, when Landers Nolly gets the technical foul. And then Tulsa ran away with it and ended up winning by seven. So a very similar situation in this game. Memphis uh, had, some, had some costly mistakes, turned the ball over, allowed Tulsa to stay in the game, come back into the game, and then ultimately uh, get away with the win. So... It is a little bit disappointing, a little bit frustrating. Um, there, there definitely can be some something taken off of it because you can have the excuse that they haven't played in three weeks, which I, I mean, it's a reasonable, it's a reasonable excuse to not play for that long. But the fact that these same issues keep rearing their ugly head is not is not a good sign. What eleven games into the season that you still haven't really learned how to finish out and close out games. And the deeper we get into this season, it just looks like a copy and paste of last season to me. It, it looks Absolutely. like it looks like the same the same problems, the same issues. Um, you know, having difficulty scoring, having difficulty closing out games, uh, having issues with turnovers. This team looks almost like a carbon copy of the 2018-2019 team or 2019-2020 team without Precious Achiwa. No, absolutely. I mean, it it is the same guys. They are the same guys. They haven't taken that step forward. Most of them haven't. Um, you know, I, I, I think that you, you talked about a few minutes ago, you know, as much as things change, they stay the same kind of a deal. The one thing that's staying the same this season – and and is now has now become the biggest concern for me um, for this team. And this we might disagree again on this is the play of Boogie Ellis. Um, I I I am looking at his stat line. He shot the ball six times and ended the game with zero points, three turnovers, uh, one steal, and two assists. That was his stat line. Um, and you know, I haven't had a chance to go back and rewatch the game. Um, but I, I paid attention. I was paying attention during the game when he would come on the floor, what would happen? And right now he's just a liability. He, he, he's, he's, he comes in, he comes in and the team expects him to be a scorer and he's not, you know, that's, 
you know, we saw the issues with Alex at the beginning of the year where he was coming in and trying to do things that he's not supposed to be not supposed to do. Well, in this game, he didn't shoot the ball. He he scored two points, but he came in and he ran the offense exactly the way that it needed to be run. He came in and he did what he needed to do. Didn't turn the ball over. Um, the same cannot be said. Boogie and Alex's roles are not the same. Boogie's not meant to come in and be a facilitator. He is he is meant to come in and score buckets, and he is just not doing it. And um, his regression is probably one of the most confusing and and frustrating things for me um, in terms of this team. I just don't understand what's going on with him. Yeah, and I would even further that point and say what's the most concerning is the play of Boogie Ellis, the lack of scoring from DJ Jeffries has been a, a huge question mark and just dumbfounding for me because I know the potential that is there. It, it's like this guy can score at will if he wants to. It just hasn't happened this season. It happened pretty much every game he played last year outside of a few, and this year it just hasn't been the case, and I don't know exactly what that issue is. I've said a couple times I think he's been a little bit too unselfish, and I think that continues to be an issue. I think he's been a little passive you know, with other with other scores on this team, like guys like Landers Nolly and Lester Quinones, he feels like he can be passive, and and there are points when he needs to take over. But back to your point with Boogie Ellis, um, in my opinion, the last probably what six seven games, every time he gets in the game, he presses way too much. He comes in, he's calling for the ball the whole time he's in the game. He gets the ball. He either takes a three or he's going to try to drive into the heart of a defense with three guys down low. I've seen that pretty much every game over the past six or seven, and then, and that's what he's done when he got when once he's gotten in the game. So it, it may be unfair and it could be incorrect, but I think I think we're pretty spot on here. Penny Hardaway has talked about guys that come in the game and make no effect and how it's difficult to play them, and Boogie Ellis might be number one on that list right now of guys that you would expect to be a major major contributor and every time he enters the game it slows down the offense and it completely messes up the flow of the offense and that has been the case for several weeks now probably a month or so now and it's a uh, it's a it's confusing and it's hard to watch but Kenny we you know we we try not to focus on all the negatives we try to bring some positive in as well um I think there's typically positives that you can take away there's been games this season where we haven't had any but there were in this game um I would start off with Malcolm Dandridge someone yep, best game best game of his Memphis career yeah best game of his collegiate career he's been someone that just seems up and down as far as his his will and desire to be on the floor sometimes it looks like he wants to be out there sometimes it doesn't um which has been a little odd to watch over the course of his career but he's also had throughout his career these spurts where he he looks like this for you know five six minutes in a game where he controls the glass he can uh, finish on putbacks he can make great defensive plays as far as blocks go and then there's other games where he gets in and tries to throw like a half court pass and it and he turns the ball over three or four times in a few minutes so this is an encouraging sign maybe this is a sign that he knows his role and knows what he needs to do when he gets in the game because Lance Thomas played a lot of minutes uh, against Tulsa and let, let's be honest, didn't look great. Um, I think he was the first or second big off the bench. I think he came in before Malcolm did. 
And if you can find a way to insert Malcolm in that lineup and take minutes away from Lance Thomas at this point, because Lance has has been basically non-existent this year when he's been in the game. Uh, last year, he had a really good stretch where he was able to shoot, um, especially from the perimeter, and that just hasn't been the case this year. Uh, he's not he's not a power big man. He's more of a finesse big man anyway, and that I mean that's just that's known that's a known fact of his game, which is fine. But if if you're gonna be that big, if you're gonna be a finesse uh, stretch the floor big, then you have to hit shots, and he hasn't done that this year. So if you can get quality minutes from Malcolm Dandridge coming off the bench moving forward, that's major for this team. Uh, finished with ten and ten, first career double double. Looked very good. Uh, made a lot of big time buckets down low. So that is, to me, the most encouraging thing. Uh, Lester Quinones also looked great once again. That's three game, three to four games in a row where he's looked really, really good. Um, he wasn't as good in this game, but I, I think he still played fairly well. Um, and then Landers Nolly, uh, another guy that I've been kind of confused about this season as far as his offensive output. I believe he still leads the team in scoring, but that's not saying much on a team that averages about you know, 58, 59 points a game. And he explodes in the first half. Looked like he did uh, earlier in the season when he had, I think, two or three consecutive games over 20 points, 22 points. And then completely disappears in the second half. 0 for 4, doesn't hit a shot, finishes the game with 13 points, um, which is tough for an offense. When you have a first half where you're rolling, you're playing well over the last five to seven minutes, um, basically on the shoulders of one guy, that guy being Landers Nolly, and then he comes out. So I, I assume when you go into halftime like that, your game plan, your offensive game plan is centered around this guy at this point. He's the guy that's hitting shots. He's getting buckets. Uh, and then you come back out and he's not hitting shots or getting buckets. And that that halters the offense. So I guess you give like a, a split grade for Landers Nolly because he was incredible in the first half and non-existent in the second half. Yeah, you, you brought up two things that, that I want to expound on a little bit. Malcolm's game, he had the best game of his collegiate career, like I said earlier. Double-double, um, like you mentioned, 10 points, 10 rebounds. And it was a, a sustained impact. It wasn't one play where you're like, whoa. It, was, like, it, was, where did it, that... it wasn't in a three-minute burst this time. It was over the course of a game. Right, no, and that was impressive to me, like to the point where Musa probably had his worst game of his of of the season so far, didn't do anything, and um, and I mean he had zero points and two rebounds. I mean that, <laughs> you know, that that's not good. And so there was a point where, and I think Penny even said this at the in the post game where he talked about Musa having some real troubles with the with uh, pick and roll defense, and so he brought Malcolm back in, and Malcolm came in with the same energy and did well again, like he had been doing the whole game. Um, so that was, that was great to see. We had mentioned in the last podcast that I think one of the positives about, about them having this amount of time off was that you'd see some guys come back in that were, that were healthy. I mean, I've had, I've never had the knee injury that, that Malcolm sustained his senior year of high school. Um, I have torn ligaments in my knee, not my ACL, um, I've torn ligaments in my knee playing basketball and, um, remember coming back from a, um, ligament damage and having that tendonitis in the same knee. And it is a, it is one of the most frustrating pains to feel because it feels like tendonitis makes your knee feel like it's, a, it's the, the tendons are still ripping 
right? Like, and so I get it. Like there's a level of like kind of hesitancy and man, how hard can I push, you know, those kinds of things. And so I really wondered if, you know, these three weeks off from Malcolm specifically was going to allow his knees a chance to, to really heal up, get some more therapy, get some more rehab, um, and just get more comfortable. And you saw that in this game. I think you saw him, you know, being able to sustain a level of energy and, and effectiveness that we haven't seen out of him um, more than more than a couple of times throughout his, you know, two years he's been at Memphis. Um, so I was, I was happy to see him play so well. There was something that he said, he was, he was a part of the post game media availability. And there's something he said that I think speaks to the point about Landers Nolly that I wanted to bring up. Um, he was asked a question about the offense, the new offense, which I think is going to be a question moving forward that everybody's going to be asking every single time. How do you feel about the new offense? And his response was that he liked it because, and I wrote wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I remembered it. Um, it's, this is not a quote from Malcolm. This is kind of a summary of what he said. He said, uh, I like the new offense because um, it isn't designed for one player, more shots for everybody. Um, uh, you know, something to that degree. He said, there's more shots for everybody that it's not, it's designed for one specific player. And I know that that can be a positive thing, but I also think that at times that can be a negative because you look at the first half with Landers Nolly. Landers was getting buckets everywhere. He was shooting well. He was driving to the basket, you know, offensive rebound baskets, you know, things like that. And then he comes out in the second half, and it was clear to me that the offense is not designed specifically to keep the guys that are hot, the guys that are playing well, this offense is not designed to make sure that they're the ones that are getting the shots. And and so while, yes, I think it's great that a lot of players are getting shots, I also think that one of the things that, that is necessary, especially in the college game, is when you have a player that's that's producing – figuring out a way to make sure that that guy is getting the majority of the shots that every time down the floor, he's touching the ball every time he's being put in the positions to score. And that's, that's confusing to me in the second half is that it definitely felt like that Landers was able to kind of get back into the shadows a little bit, fall back a little bit because the offense wasn't being run specifically to get him open shots. And, you know, I think it's pretty clear at this point, there's just a few guys on the team that can get buckets when every time that they, every time they touch the ball there, they, they can get a bucket, you know, I don't, th- and, I don't think there's any. Well, I mean, it's at times you, they can like DJ can get a shot off anytime he wants to. Landers can get a shot anytime he wants to if the ball is if the if they're put in the positions to where they can get the ball in in places where they're effective they can get the shots off they can get them off but can they hit them well I mean yeah ab- absolutely got to hit but you got to make shots right and there's nobody on this team that's proven that they can consistently go get a bucket when you need it and we thought that they would have a plethora of those guys this year that's something that we talked about extensively during the offseason was that the biggest one of the biggest things to look forward to this season is now you have multiple guys that can go get a bucket whenever you need one and that just hasn't been the case this year i think penny said last week that um their percentage of good shots 
good like good shots, uncontested shots, um, was in the top two or three in the country. But they weren't hitting those shots. Like they're getting those shots, but they're not making them. And that's what sets teams apart. I, mean, I think he said Gonzaga right. was number one in that category, which makes sense because they hit those shots. They're the best team in the country. Memphis doesn't, which puts them somewhere in the what seventy to seventy-five range in the country because they're not hitting shots. Uh, they're playing top-level elite defense. They're getting good shots. They're just not making those shots. So that yeah, I've never, I haven't seen. It's it's wild to me how many shots they miss, like wide open shots. Yeah, like I don't understand it. There, this no matter what offense they've run this year, they've gotten open shots. It's not like they haven't. They've been all contested. There are times where there are some some shot jackers that that will try to take contested shots that aren't good shots. But the majority of the time, the ball is – that's one thing that I would say about this team is that they 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 seem to be a pretty unselfish team. They don't mind passing the ball to a, a to, from a good shot to a better shot. It's just that the guys who are getting it in the better positions just aren't making the shots. Yeah, you know, yeah. I Com- completely agree. And it's uh, very, very strange to watch a team get really good shots and make extra passes the majority of the time and you still can't hit them. So it's weird. It's It's not something that – I don't think anyone in college basketball is accustomed to seeing. But, Kenny, let's move on real quick. We're going to try to wrap this one up pretty quickly. Um, Not something we do very often, but we are pretty strapped for for content right now. So let's take a look forward to Thursday's game against Wichita State because, once again, I I feel like I've said it in every podcast this year, the American – there's so there's a, such a small room for error in this conference because all the teams are so close. Uh, you you see you see teams trade wins and losses, or the team that you think was a top two or three team in the conference lose to a, a, a bottom tier, what would be considered a bottom tier team, and vice versa. So it, it, it's really like there's never a given win in this conference, and Wichita State certainly is not. They've been competitive all year. Pretty much everyone expected them to be terrible. Uh, I was among those. I think pretty much everyone thought that they, they you know, they get a mass exodus of transfers. Uh, Greg Marshall gets fired, so it it didn't look great for Wichita State. But they've been relatively competitive and in games this year, and it feels like since Penny has been at Memphis that Wichita State has been one of those games that's always back and forth. It's always a close scrappy defensive game and I, I don't uh, expect anything less uh, I don't expect anything less on Thursday so let's take a look at this right now uh, Wichita State currently sits at second in the American uh, four and one in conference eight and three overall uh, two of their losses have come out of conference Missouri and Oklahoma State their only in conference loss was a seven point loss to Houston so they've been very good this year um same thing, defensive side of the ball that they've been solid on, um, and they found a way to win those close games that we talked about Memphis has had trouble doing. So I think that's what we're going to come down to again this year. I think it's going to be a, a, a close game. I don't think this is going to be one either team runs away with, and it's one that Memphis needs to find a way to win. Like If we talk about what we want to see moving forward, to me, the the top thing is finding a way to finish out games, and what way, what what better way to show that you're capable of doing that 
them beating what is right now the the second best team or the second highest ranked team in the conference. Now, easier said than done. I, I completely understand that. And and what have we seen from this team that says that they can close out a game? But if you're going to flip the script in any way and bring any positives about this year, because there's no 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 one's talking NCAA tournament anymore. They haven't for a while. It's it's pretty much inconceivable at this point unless you win the conference tournament, which same thing. I don't think anyone sees Memphis winning the conference tournament to at least gain some positive out of this year and to at least gain some momentum out of this year. If you're going to flip the script, I think that starts with beating a good team down the stretch in the clutch time is what I mean by down the stretch, not later in the season. I mean in the in the last few minutes of a game when it's a back and forth affair, when it's scrappy, um, when it's close and no, it looks like nobody can get a bucket. You got to be that team that can go get a bucket, that can figure it out, that can make a stop, that can get a big, uh, a big swing in momentum. You've got to find a way to win games. So I know this season hasn't been what anyone planned or what anyone expected. But if you're going to make it salvageable, if you're going to make this season watchable, because to a lot of fans right now, this team isn't watchable. Let's just let's just call it what it is. You see a lot of frustration right now. So if you're going to make it salvageable, you have to figure out a way to win games down the stretch. And like I said, a, a great way to start that would be against a team that has been surprisingly successful this year. Um, but Wichita State's not going to lay down for anybody. They're always a really good team. I know it's not Greg Marshall at the helm anymore, but they're still very well coached, and uh, they've got guys that are going to come to play on it on every given night. Yeah, I mean, I really don't even know how to break this game down. Like, I'll just be 100% transparent. I haven't seen Wichita State play this year, so I don't know exactly what they bring to the table. I mean, I'm looking at their stats, and they're they're a high-scoring team. They beat the brakes off Tulsa a few weeks ago. Like, I mean, they not even a few weeks ago, less than a week ago. Um but it's difficult because we don't know which Memphis team is going to show up. So, you know, we don't know what they what to expect. Um, I mean, I guess we kind of do know what to expect. We've seen it all year. But, um, you know, seeing some positives. But then, like you said, Christian, can they, in the end, can they finish out a game? Um, and and so in the like that's all we're wanting right now is just to, them to see them finish finish out a game well you know close a team out get a team down by you know double digit points and then bring it up to twenty instead of letting them come back you know that um those are those are the things that I think we could take a look at and go okay there's some growth there if they're able to do that in this game against Wichita State you say okay there's some growth there and that's that's all I think right now. That's what that those are the positive positives that we can take away is just let's see some growth. Yeah, and the, and I think the two big players to watch, not to go too too deep into this, um, but Travis Etienne, if you remember him from last year, was a freshman, had a pretty impressive freshman year, averaged about ten points a game. He's up to almost eighteen points a game this year. He's had a uh, tremendous sophomore season thus far. And then they got Altariq Gilbert. Um, from UConn, uh, transfer from UConn, who Memphis is familiar with. They've played against UConn, um, and he hasn't lit up the scoreboard necessarily, averaging under 10 points a game, but he's their point guard, averaging nearly four four assists per contest. Um, two guys in that backcourt that can make a difference, and I believe last year Travis Etienne had some pretty – some pretty high flying stats against Memphis. I know he's a he's he can play above the rim for a guard. So those are the two the two guys you really got to watch. Um, I know it's been more front court guys that have given Memphis problems this year, but 
Uh, Wichita State has a very good backcourt that can give any team team problems. Um, so we'll we'll see how that one plays out. I think I think when a backcourt is better, it benefits Memphis defensively because they have guards that can play uh, on higher level guards, specifically Alex Lomax and Damian Ball and Lester Quinones tend to always match up very well with solid backcourts. So we'll see how how that matchup goes. But uh, at the same time, Wichita State's no slouch, slouch in the front court. Uh, I believe his name is uh, Morris Morris Udezi. Uh, remember him from you know the, from the past couple years. Do you remember Isaiah Pooh Bear Chandler? Yeah, I remember Pooh Bear. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a big <laughs> dude. But uh, Udezi is one of those guys that always gives Memphis trouble. Uh, is just gonna grind, go to work, play down low. So I think it's a I think it's an interesting matchup. I don't necessarily think it's a perfect matchup for Memphis uh, as far as personnel goes, but I think they match up decently with Wichita State. And I think once again, you know, this team's gonna be competitive in in every game. They have been all year. Uh, if they knew how to close out games and limit mistakes late, no telling what the record of this team would be right now. So, although I know there's a lot of frustration with this team and a lot of fans are kind of kind of over it at this point, this team is not. I mean, they're competitive. They're always they're, yes. being, they're competitive in every game because right. they can play such good defense. So, I don't expect many teams to blow Memphis. I don't see a team that can really blow Memphis out. Um, so so it's just a it's a wait and see thing. We'll see what they look like on Thursday night and then we'll see what they look like over the weekend. But uh I think What would you rather have? Do you wish Memphis would get blown out every single game instead of losing a game by one point, two points? Um so as someone that covers the team, no, I enjoy the closer <laughs> games, but yeah. if I was a like if I was a fan, like if it's if it's my team, uh I definitely would rather be blown out than lose heartbreakers every game cuz that that tends to add up, you know. The the being a be, it adds to the frustration. Yeah, being a being a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fans, I've seen a lot of heartbreakers and those those uh those get upsetting and they continue to be upsetting. So as a as a journalist, as someone that covers the team, uh, it's always better when it's interesting. But as a fan, just blow my team out and call it a day and let me let me relax. Yeah, I agree with you though. I don't think that Memphis's defense won't allow anybody to blow them out. You know, it, it's their defense is top top level. I mean, they are they are top notch defense. They they run really good stuff. Um, they play hard. That is the one thing that I would say about this Tigers team is, man, they play hard. Um, it's just finishing it out, you know, man. That's that's what we have to see. I think that's the next step is just finishing it out, finishing free throws. You know, hitting the free throws that you get, um, and then just man, those last five to six minutes of every game finishing you know so i mean their defense is their defense is tight man they're they're good yep limit turnovers hit some shots and we'll see what happens but kenny that is pretty much going to do it for us today before we get out of here make sure to head over to gotigers247.com for any coverage from the tulsa game for looking forward to wichita state for any football coverage from jonah and myself and then also for all the jordan nesbitt content we've got out right now we have three articles uh, podcast where me and Kenny do a breakdown also has clips of Jordan's audio in there from our interview and then we have a separate I want to make this clear because there is some some level There's of clarity that needs to be had here yeah we did a sit down interview with Jordan in December when he was in town for the Iverson Classic so that is the video that you will see the audio that you will hear in the podcast is a 
uh, is an interview that I personally did with Jordan last week before he was enrolled at the University of Memphis. We talked to him about his decision. So those are two separate. If you hear those two audios, those are two different audios, but definitely check out that video and that podcast. Uh, Kenny put his magic touch of editing on that video, so it looks incredible. He made me look uh, not as terrible as I actually do. Uh, thankful for for Kenny for that. But with that being said, Kenny, you got anything else? Man, I'm good. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis Athletic Program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are published daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for a VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.